0: Welcome to Truth in the Word. Join us today as we allow the Word of God to be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Now, here's your host, Pastor Jim Newsom. Yes, this is Pastor Jim Newsom and this is Truth in the Word on Anchor Broadcasting. Going back to the book of Acts today, beginning of chapter 8, around verse 9. I believe we touched on this person last time, a man called Simon, who the Bible declares was a sorcerer. And this is, of course, uh, after the death of Stephen and during the ministry of the second deacon that had so much uh, uh, praise God influence on the first century church, uh, a man named Philip. So in Acts 8, 9, we see, but there was a certain man named Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. So he was out, of course, for uh, uh, make himself famous as one that was able to do certain things, spiritual things, Bible Uh, calls this a spirit of deception or even a familiar spirit which people uh, claim to use some power, not really the power of God, but some power to do certain things. And he was, uh, of course, steeped in pride and wanted himself uh, to be lifted up and looked at and uh, says here he was giving himself out as some great one. So history records that uh, Simon claimed he was a was was the father who gave the law to Moses, <laughs> and he came in reign, he came in the reign of Tiberius as as the son. That he descended upon the disciples at Pentecost in the flames of fire, and he says he was the Messiah, the Paraclete called him Stephen called himself Jupiter, and that the woman who accompanied him was Helena, or the name was Minerva or the first intelligence. So Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 4 through 5, he said, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for as many shall in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So this is what Jesus said, and that has never ended, never stopped, there's always been... Self-proclaimed Messiah is always the one saying they have another gospel or written another another book or this or that. And uh, anything to take focus off the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, because the true gospel points to Jesus Christ and none other and will always lift up him that all men might be drawn unto him in the days in which we live. So here we have this gentleman or this man who was self-gain, self-serving all about self uh, they say practicing in the rites or sciences of the magi which were the worshipers of fire among among the Persians so beginning with verse 10 in Acts chapter 8 to whom they all go they gave heed in other words everybody was focused on this gentleman from the least to the greatest. And they said that he had great power with God. And to him, verse 11, and to him they had regard because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. He had bewitched them with sorceries. So here we have a people. That was bewitched. Here we have those preaching the true gospel in the person to Philip and those that accompanied him. And then we have the man of this city who was a sorcerer. In other words, a familiar spirit. Um, so, the, so these people felt that uh, this sorcerer was like a god, little G, just as with the people, there was a great many people who were bewitched today. Uh, now, the word bewitched actually means to mess with one's thought life. So so the warning here is uh, don't get your eyes on men that have uh, astounding claims. So they attributed his magic and his stunts, his sleight of hand. The Bible warns about the sleight of men, the sleight of men, to being done by the power of God with in reality it was Actually, Satan. So these individuals were bewitched. So he says in verse one, I'm sorry, in Galatians chapter three, verse one, Paul wrote to a church, the Galatian church, and said, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set before crucified among you? So This is an ongoing problem, even in the modern day. People having power, having high influence on people, but yet deviating from the gospel. And whenever attention is upon a man who walks and talks in the flesh, and everybody flows to that man or that individual, then there's a problem. That's occultic. The focus of the modern day church. The remnant church, or the real church, is upon Jesus Christ. Jesus said, "If I'm lifted up, then I'll draw all men unto me." So, in Acts eight twelve, but when they believed Philip preaching things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and Women. So the preaching of the true gospel turned individuals, probably not all of them, but a lot of them were turned. And he just preached the salvation is only in the name of Jesus. So Philip's message and power were greater than that of Simon and his miracles and the the outcome, the the fruits of his message, the power and the demonstration that come. With Philip, who was baptized in the Holy Spirit and used of God in this day and his hour, which by the way, he was a deacon and God used him mightily, but his power and what he moved him was greater than that of Simon. In Acts 8:13, we go on and then Simon himself believed. Now we see that possibly this man turned. Uh, Also, when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So was Philip, I'm sorry, was was this man Simon? Was he truly converted? Well, man looks on the outside, but uh, God looks on the inside. Only God knows the true condition of our hearts. He knows our uh, intentions. And this is, What happened uh, when Samuel was directed to go and anoint David? The Lord said unto Samuel, "Look not on his countenance, or his height of his stature." Talk about David, because I refused him. For the Lord seeeth not a man; see if a man looketh on outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. In other words, the transformation from Saul to David, and simply. Samuel himself, we, we, we read, we, he said, well, these are greater stature. And the Bible calls David the shepherd boy, a ruddy little, little boy at that time. Of course, we know he uh, grew into the greatest king that Israel ever had because God saw his heart and because God moved in his heart. He was obedient. He was pliable to God's ways. He had his problems, but he didn't rebel against God. In two Corinthians chapter thirteen verse five, the Bible says, "Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves? Know that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates." That's a pretty strong language. In other words, search out your own salvation with trembling and with fear. So, apparently, there were, there was was a radical conversion. In this sorcerer or ex-sorcerer, what you want to call him's heart? So let's go back to Acts 8, beginning verse 14. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto him Peter and John. Okay, we know we know the Samarians and the Jews never did get along, but now God was moving a revival into that area, proving that. That God is no respecter of persons, that, that God died for every individual, uh, whether it be Jew, Gentile, whatever it might be. The Bible declares the middle wall of partition has been torn down, making us one man in Christ. When they were come, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Prayer for the Holy Ghost was part of the gospel program. In other words, the infilling, the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. In the book of Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 11, if, if a son, now this is on asking for gifts from God, asking for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is in, certainly involved in our conversion, but he's also in, in our indwell, involved in our indwelling, whereby the Bible declares the indwelling, the baptism gives us power for service, gives us unction, gives us knowledge gives us a strength, gives us leadership, gives us guidance, give us, gives us comfort. The paraclete, the one that comes alongside to help us. A Christian will not survive and cannot survive without the Holy Spirit being active in his or her life. There's just no way. So upon asking for that gift or any gift from God, in Luke 11, verse 11, if a son shall ask bread of any view, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Question. Or if he ask a fish, shall he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, verse 12, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? The infilling, the indwelling, the, the power that's needed to Walk this Christian life, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is God. He knows all things. Amen. He knows the beginning from the ending. He knows the future and the past. And he certainly knows what's going on in the present. Nothing escapes him. So he, 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 he not it, he is our helper, the para cleat, the one that comes alongside to help us. It's so important that the Holy Spirit is involved in our lives, that we are immersed and baptized in the Holy Ghost because that's where the power comes from. Go and wait, he told them, he and pray, and seek me in one mind and one accord until you receive power from on high. Of course, power, it's that many times that's the word dunamis, which, is, uh, which means dynamite. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 16, for as many as are led, now listen, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, not illegitimate but legitimate children of God. By the accepting of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the sealing, the Bible says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost of promise. So the Holy Spirit here must refer to the Spirit baptism, the supernatural gifts of the Spirit for service. For service. That's why I believe that every Every service, every meeting, every Bible study, everything that we are involved in, even business meetings in the house of God should be headed up by the Holy Spirit. He he should have dominion over all of it because he is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's not it. He's not lower than. He is God, equal, equal uh, with the Father and the Son. In Luke 24 and 49, Jesus said, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but you tarry in the city of where? Jerusalem, until ye have endued, you be endued with power. So it may be that Philip had had not told all the facts and conditions of the gospel. It may be that they had not accepted them. At any rate, now they were brought into partnership with with the apostles. So we know that the Holy Spirit fell. The Bible declares like a mighty rushing wind. Suddenly the windows burst open with power. The Spirit of God fell. We know we know uh, the act of speaking in tongues. We know we know what what happened there. So many people get get hung up on that, but. The main reason for the Holy Ghost to to fall in our lives is to give us power and to give us comfort and to give us revelation. We need we, we, we need him. We need him. Jesus says by the Father's right hand, but the Holy Spirit is omnipresent in the world today and 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 uh, is God. He's God. Acts 19, beginning verse 1, it came to pass that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye have believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. <clears throat> so we also preach him. We preach the The need to be led, to be immersed, to be baptized, to be engulfed, to be indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God. The promise, by the way, the promise that Jesus Christ promised to those that would ask. So what do we ask for the Holy Ghost? Does he give us a serpent? Does he give us, if we ask for bread, does he give us a stone? No, he gives us what we ask for. In Acts 10, beginning with verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, or the Jews, which believed were astonished at many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Universal baptism of the Holy Spirit for the for they heard and speak in tongues and magnify God then answered Peter can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we the outward appearance of being saved being being saved inwardly and the outward confession while being baptized the immersion. Baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they prayed him to tarry a certain day. In other words, put on Christ. Put on Christ. Okay, back to Acts 8, verse 18 says, And when Simon saw that through laying on uh, the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, what did he do? He offered no money. Now, apparently he hadn't had a change of mind or just ignorant of the ways of God, of course saying, give me the power. Verse 19 says, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands that they may receive the Holy Ghost. Once again, wanting to uh, be exalted, uh, wanting to want people's attention on him and what he was doing, this and that. So we know that Peter kind of preaching a little sermon here in Acts 8, 23. And 21, but Peter said unto him, let thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. All the gifts of God were paid for at the cross. Everything we enjoy today in the spiritual realm is projected and comes, and comes from what Jesus Christ did at the cross. He says in 21, 821, Acts eight twenty-one, Acts 8.21, thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. That's what he says. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. So that kind of proves I'm I, I'm believing that Peter said this under the influence of the Spirit. So he told him, He said, Your heart's not right with God. So there's a the problem. So let's see what let's see what happens here in Acts 8 22, Repent, therefore. Peter telling Simon to repent of this thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of that heart may be forgiven thee Listen what he what what he says here he says for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness Mara is the word Mara remember children of Israel come to the bitter creek called Mara and in the bond of iniquity he said you've got the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity so there's a problem here see and he Peter just called it out as being an inner problem. Okay. He believed, yet he wasn't changed on the inside. See, it takes the Holy Spirit to change this on the inside. Like I said, men look on the outside, but God looks on the inside. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than the two edged sword, and cuts asunder and divides every spirit. The spirit divides. The spirit divides. So that yeah, word gall there. Um, uh, but uh, go back to what he said. He said repentance. Repentance is always is always the answer for sin. First John five nine means uh, to think differently and change your mind. In other words, get a, a new perception. Re- realize what you said or what you've done is wrong, and repent of it and walk in another direction. So bitterness, gall means wormwood. We'll find out in, in the book of Revelation. Gall was bitter. None. Uh, note the bitter waters that the children of Israel came up uh, f- a few days from 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 the Red Sea. Okay, Acts eight twenty four. Then answered Simon and said, "Pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me." So he asked for prayers, and that was a right attitude. But only God knows the outcome. Only God knows this man's heart was right. Apparently he humbled himself. Apparently what what, what Simon, what, what Peter had said to Simon had scared him because he said, you're the gall bitterness. Your heart's not right. You know, you, you, you need to repent. In Acts 8 and 25, and they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So the gospel is being preached. It started in Jerusalem. It's soon soon to be in Antioch, where they first were called Christians, then to Ephesus, heading towards Rome. Okay. So we go here to uh, talking about Philip and, and the Ethiopian. So the gospel is universal and preached to every ethnic group, every race, every creed. It doesn't matter. The gospel is universal. One Lord, one gospel, one baptism for each and every man. Jesus Christ is the only way men, women, boys, and girls can be saved. Only through Jesus Christ. No other way to heaven. No. Sorry. No other way. You just can't pick up something. Well, I think that's close to Christianity. If it's not Christianity, if it's not Jesus Christ, him crucified, it will not save you. And certainly will keep you out of heaven. Acts 8, 8, and 8 and 26 says, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem into Gaza, which is what desert. Okay, so here we have Philip being led by the Holy Spirit there on the day of Pentecost. One one of the seven deacons appointed for, to the help ministry to help to help. The disciples, and now he's been used of God. Told him to go south, with down from where Jerusalem unto Gaza, the Gaza Strip, which is desert. So the Spirit of God sends him in the desert for one person, one person. David said, "Who are we that God is mindful of us?" Amen. We see Jesus in the Gospels where he he told his disciples, said, "You guys." Go get food, he says. I've got to go by the way of Samaria. How many people did he minister to? One woman, and the outcome of that was great. Amen. This woman life was changed drastically. History tells us that she became one one of the greatest evangelists among the Samaritans. See, she actually spawned by her encounter with Jesus Christ, actually spawned a revival. Among, amongst the home folk and amongst the people she lived around. Okay verse 27 and he arose and went and behold a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Kansas, queen of the Ethiopians who had the charge of all our treasure had come to Jerusalem to worship. So here we have a, a man a man of high status, look, looked upon he had a high office under Candace the queen. But he was at Jerusalem, why? To worship. So he was apparently, the Spirit of God was leading him and seeking him. And and I don't know, he probably asked, Lord, make yourself real unto me. And that's exactly what God's going to do through this deacon named Philip. Verse, verse, Verse 28 says, and was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet. Okay, he so he was probably a proselyte to the Jewish way, and and and, and apparently he was hungry for the things of God. Verse twenty nine, Acts eight twenty nine. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Spirit of God, see, see, how, see how the Spirit orchestrates. See how He's moving this man of God in the direction. See that's why it's so important that the Spirit of God lead us and guide us. That's one of the purposes of the indwelling, of the guiding, of the the Holy Spirit involved in our lives every, every day, that we're so conscious of the Holy Spirit, that we know his unction, and we know his leading, and he will always point to Jesus Christ and, and always confirm the word of God. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. His heart was already prepared. Amen. He'd already been dealing with this eunuch, this man of great stature within that kingdom. And he was reading the word of God. So there, there was the segue. So Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints in the morrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Amen. So we'll leave off there, and we'll start next time with verse 30 and see what was transacted what happened between Philip and this, this uh, Ethiopian, and it's going to be a great outcome. Seeking why I may be found. Amen. The Word of God tells us that, that the time is short, that this – that this world is racing towards judgment. You can see it all around and so important that we search out our own salvation with trembling and with fear, that we take the posture of the psalmist David who says, search me, O Lord, and whatever you find in me that's not of you, remove it from our life. So next time we'll be talking uh, more about Philip and this man that's reading the book of Isaiah. God bless till next time. We want to thank you for listening to Truth in God's Word today. You can check us out on Facebook at The Truth in God's Word. There you can message us for any reason, whether it be prayer request, comment about the show, or if you would just like to let us know subjects you would like to hear about on Truth in God's Word. We pray that you have a blessed day.